So you know you're in trouble today. Look at what I brought to read from. Look at the size of this. So anyway, I looked back when I heard uh, Donna. I love it when Donna's in the room, don't you? You can tell she's worshiping and having a great time, and I love hearing her. And I look back at her, and I always, I'm, you know, I can't help myself. I have this sick sense of humor, and, you know, she goes, woo, and I go, really? And I was afraid she thought I was rebuking her, you know, like to be, oh, good, thank you, Lord. All right, so yesterday, a couple of us were praying. We do that once in a while. I, I try to pray at least yearly, and um, more often than that, I hope. Everybody good? Yes. Welcome. Praise the Lord, right? Glad you're here. Dennis, good to see you back. All this Corona stuff. What is that Corona stuff? Making all kinds of trouble for us. As we were praying, uh, one of our brothers reminded uh, me of something that I had said years ago, uh, one of my famous quotes. And because I have been famous for some of my quotes, I have more um, paraphernalia uh, relating to this little guy and those of you who can't see it, maybe on, on TV you'll be able to see. Mm, help you, I will. Yoda. You seek Yoda. Well, anyway, his favorite, my favorite quote from him is, You must unlearn what you have learned. Oh. Thank you for that. And I'm going to hold you to it. Oh. So this morning, uh, there's a little gift there, because that's what we're talking about. If you're visiting, we've been in a series on the spiritual gifts, which is an interesting subject to teach on, because as you can see in your bulletin, there are tolerable gifts, and then there are terrible gifts. But I will explain what I mean when I use that word in just a few minutes. So I'm encouraging us that sometimes we do have to unlearn what we have learned. So what I did was I took the opening line of 1 Corinthians 12. 12 through 14 is the whole section on what we would call the more charismatic gifts. And it opens with this title. So let me put the title up there. I think you see it already. I would not have you ignorant. Doesn't that sound insulting? But it's not designed to be insulting. It's basically saying, and he's going to say in a few minutes, where people under the... Uh, what they feel is the leading of the Spirit can get in the weeds. And so he's saying, I don't want you to mess this up. I don't want you to get off track. I don't want you to misuse the good things that God has given us, etc., etc. So I would not have you ignorant. I would not have you uh, endorsing mistakes and bad behavior and things like that. That's kind of what he's saying. So I thought that's an appropriate title. Everybody okay with that? I hope you are, because it's right out of the King James Bible. How can you argue with that? I mean, well, you could. Be allowed. I'm preaching backwards today. No, not that kind of backwards. I'm, I'm, pre <laughs> yeah, you I'm preaching backwards, meaning that my text for the morning is at the end of my sermon. So let me uh, throw some things out. And what I want to do is start with some teasers on purpose. And uh, here they are, just some verses that we find in the New Testament. And by the way, this is just a sampling. There's a whole bunch more 
I was thinking about it after I wrote my sermon. I said, I'm not going to rewrite my sermon. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus. I mentioned him last week. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. This took place, actually, in the reign of Claudius. Now, as far as we know, Agabus never wrote, you know, the book of Isaiah slash Abagus. There's nothing like that. We don't know anything else about him. Well, we know a little bit because he's mentioned in the book of Acts, but that's it. Nevertheless, he's recorded biblically as a prophet. There's something here to, to, uh, to gain, to understand. So uh, Agabus is this prophetic individual who tells him what's going to happen. That's one. Let's go to the next one. This is going to be very quick. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. How did the Holy Spirit say that? Nobody was, we don't have a recording, we don't have a videotape of that meeting. That would have been great if they had had the Facebook Zoom at the time or whatever. We would have known a little more detail. But somebody was the instrument that the Holy Spirit spoke to and through to edify and say, this is what I want to do. I want to pull this person apart and uh, send them off on mission work. We don't even know who the person might have been. Maybe it was Paul, maybe not. Somebody else, somebody we don't know. Here's another one. Now we request of you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gatherings together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed why would you be disturbed by either a spirit or a message or an epistle? That's the word, a letter, literally, an epistle. As if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In other words, there's something going on in the New Testament church here, right? And people are gaining uh, insights from the spirit and communicating. And uh, sometimes they get off track. And one of the things that happened in this case, the Thessalonians had had some prophetic word brought to their congregation that said, well, the day of the Lord's already come. It's kind of like the, the Jehovah Witness position that the day of the Lord already happened. Not. Because wouldn't it be wonderful when he does come and all your political problems are solved? Thanks be to God. Amen. Anyway. So the point I'm making is that we don't know exactly how that happens. Another verse that came to my mind, I thought, oh, I don't even know if I can park on that. Paul says to the Galatians, when they're getting off track into legalism, he says, how did the works of the Spirit happen among you? Is it the Holy Spirit working among you by the works of the law, or is it by trusting God by faith? And he says, that does miracles among you. What? So that was the experience of the New Testament church. These gifts, here's the point I'm making, and this is where um, I'll, I'll make some disclaimers in just a minute, but I think they still manifest. They're not usual, but they're possible. And if I may, I think some of them are even likely when a church is actively seeking God and wanting him to speak to us. And I think over the years, some of us have experienced it without knowing that it was a particular gift. We wouldn't Name it that way because our church culture wouldn't have allowed that kind of talk. But it probably was. 
people before we ever, I ever learned about spiritual gifts that had a particular openness to the Spirit and, and were able to give wisdom and guidance and insights to people. It may have been actually a manifestation of the gift. So, as I introduce um, this more radical subject today, I want to make some disclaimers, if I could. Um, I've been studying this for over 40 years. I think I know quite a bit about it, but I could be wrong on an occasion. I know that's hard to believe. I have a little fortune cookie thing that, you know, how every once in a while fortune cookies hit a, a true note. I don't believe in fortune cookies. Okay, you all get that? Oh my gosh, I have to be so careful. But anyway, I taped it on my wall because it says, never make the mistake of thinking you know everything about anything. Never make the mistake of thinking you know everything about anything. I, I, when, when someone was talking this, oh, it was uh, our, bro, our brother Steve was making announcements. He said, you know, Q&A, you only got so many more days to ask Pastor John Q&A. And it triggered a thought, I've got a hat at home that says, I know everything. I should have wore that today. But I don't. But I do know quite a bit about this subject and a few other connected subjects. So, historically, there's been a problem. This book that I brought, I bought this on purpose because this is one of the most profound, um, scholastic treatments of the book of 1 Corinthians. First epistle to the Corinthians, written by Dr. Gordon Fee. The technical notes in this book and the insights are amazing. He hails from a charismatic background, and yet is very analytical and very precise in his exegesis, and would push back even on some of his church tradition. So I really did appreciate what he had to say in, in some of his comments, but let me just read something. Anybody who's been around a while remember when J.B. Phillips did a translation of the New Testament? And uh, I used to read that. It was well done. And uh, when he was um, unpacking the book of Acts, Here's what he wrote, and it's one of the notes from Gordon Fee. He was talking about the manifestations of the Spirit in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that very section that deals with these more, if I may, supernaturally, obviously supernatural type of gifts. He writes this, You cannot help feeling disturbed as well as moved, for this surely is the church as it was meant to be. If they were uncomplicated and naive by modern standards, we have ruefully to admit that they were open on the Godward side in a way that is almost unknown today. Ouch. J.B. Phillips. I thought that was a great quote. Because we're not talking about uh, wanting to make difficulties. Gordon Fee refers to, for example, the classic problem um, gift, the gift of tongues, as the problem child and its companion. Tongues and the interpretation of tongues, the problem child and its companion. I'm sorry you guys don't have a sense of humor, but anyway, I thought it was great. So what has come out of some of the things that we've experienced in the church over the last hundred years, especially the last 70 and some of us are still reacting from some of the damage that has been done because there have been destructive actions. 
that have resulted in the exact opposite reason God gave gifts to the church. He gave them to build us up. He gave them to bring us into unity, to edify us, to upbuild the assembly, and instead we tore churches apart. And everybody's right. You know, that's our problem, right? I'm always right. It's you that's wrong, except when I'm wrong and you're sure you're always right. So they're resisting the spirit. No, they're abusing the spirit. Should have never happened like that. So there are destructive results, but there also are destructive reactions, like shutting down the Holy Spirit. Because here's my last teaser verse. Let me just throw it up here. It's in the word of God. What do you do with it? Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Well, there's a problem gift right there. And do not forbid to speak in tongues. What? Uh, who wrote that? But see, when I was learning uh, a lot of this, and uh, I was going to close with this thought, but I, I dug into everything I could, and there was so much dogma, so many strong teachings that certain phases and dispensations of the church are past, and God can't do that anymore. And I'll repeat this later. A little experience will upset an awful lot of dogma. So all I'm asking is for your sakes and for the kingdom's sake that we are open to whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do with us, okay? That's all. And uh, not be upset. Some of you, some of you, um, we're long-term Baptists here. We are. And uh, I was ordained a conservative Baptist. We're not from a charismatic root. That's just our background, okay? Um, but in this in this church, there have been people who pray in tongues. We've had no division about it. And that's how it should be. What's the big deal? You with me? Okay. We're going to have some fun with this, okay? But first, I have to bring us to rationality. <laughs> Teasers. I just threw those out because obviously the early church was experiencing a lot more than we do. And some of the gifts are given and continuous. One of the problems with saying certain gifts are done and other gifts are not is that the gift mixes in the scripture overlap. So there's not a clarity about which ones should be shut down and which ones shouldn't be. The second problem I have when I was studying it was experience. I'm experiencing a certain gift that this group says shouldn't happen. Uh-oh, I must be demon-possessed. And some of you go, yeah, that explains an awful lot. <laughs> Actually, you want to come back next week for the answers to that one. Because I thought Halloween's a perfect morning to talk about warfare and the gifts that impact that. I, I, I didn't bring it, but there was an article in, this, in the paper this last week about Hudson Valley gals who are going ghost hunting in different houses. I'm thinking people are believing even, even to the points of foolishness at time, right? And we don't ever want to do that. So I'm going to have time for Q&A later because I know I'm agitating lots of people right now. And boy, am I having fun. Okay, so let's talk about what's tolerable. Last week we looked at this verse in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Typical list of giftings. And 
the idea that the gift that has been given you is a stewardship. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. In this list, prophecy is the only one that could be a concern to anybody. Because it does have a prophetic, a foretelling, telling forth the word, or foretelling like Agabus, and sometimes knowing things like Jesus knew about the woman at the well who said, I see you're a prophet. Yikes! Because he was telling her secrets. That happens with prophecy, okay? According to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, diakonos, right, the, where we get our word deacon, service, which is also probably the gift of helps. People can debate that, but... There it is. Or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads, who stands before, that's what the word means, with diligence, probably the same gift as governments in other contexts. He who shows mercy with hilarity. That's what it means in the Greek, right? With cheerfulness. Who can argue with a nice group of gifts like that in the church? We need more of them, right? We need those manifesting. Nobody's going to argue about that and have a problem with it. So we have this encouragement. Let me park on a couple of things just for a moment. One, um, sometimes people confuse talents with gifts. I mentioned that before. So we see somebody, and, and I have been in the presence of, of people who there's a profound anointing when they sing or when they lead, worship, that kind of profound, you can just sense. And um, we say, oh, they have the gift of music. Or they have the gift of singing, or whatever. No, what is happening is a gift like exhortation is combining with a gift of music, talent. Or not a gift, a talent of music. And so you have these unique combinations that bring different results. And when we read our passage today, uh, the, the opening thing says there's all kinds of varieties of ways God combines natural talents, spiritual gifts, to get all kinds of different effects. Also, last week I encouraged us, if this is true, you have to make up your mind if you believe what the Word says. I know I shouldn't have to say that to Bible-believing Baptists. But you have to make up your mind if you believe what God said is true then there are no little peeps. Remember that? And I'm not talking about those yummy little candies that I like stale. I like them stale. I always open the package, let them get hard. Then I eat them. Peeps, right? But no little people. That was from Dr. Francis Schaeffer's title, remember? Everyone has a significant gift. And in the Corinthian passage, there's some challenge about that. It's called, and it is called in the Romans text, a stewardship. There is a gift stewardship given to us. And I have a little note here. Our stewardship is first to God. You all get that? My stewardship has to be first to God. When I said I do to this lovely lady up here in the front, that's my wife I'm talking about. My, my daughter's next to her, so I got two lovely ladies, so I better be careful here. But when I said I do, my commitment was first and foremost, to God. If we really believe there's a God who's taking my commitment of vows seriously, that will have a long-term impact, right? Almost like super glue effect. 
because there have been a few moments, maybe even longer than a few moments, that I and she have been unhappy with each other. I know that is almost impossible to believe. Anyone married to her, how could they ever be happier? Oh man, I'm, I'm laying it on thick, right? I'm going to be retired living with her a lot soon. And so I, I'm doing my homework here. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. The commitment is first to God. My first stewardship is to God. Because what happens is if the second part of my stewardship in the body of Christ is to the brothers and sisters. I have been given a gift to help you, just like you've been given gifts to help one another and even some of you to help me. Did you know that? Did, did you know that? Okay. Just making sure everybody's here. So a commitment to God first. See, if I don't have a commitment to God first, I recognize a stewardship before God. Then when the people in the body torque my shorts, which most assuredly they will do and have done, then I just walk off the job like most, well, I shouldn't say most, but lots of Christians today do. Walk off the job. Who am I accountable to? One of the big frustrations for me as a pastor over 40 years, 45 years. Who are you accountable to? You're all on your, you're on your own? Or do you have a commitment to God Almighty? Is he real? Do you believe he's real? Do you believe he's real? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Remember all that? Come on. Can I get a witness? All right, you get me. You're hoping I'd be shut up soon, right? Something like that. Anyway, one of the commentators on the subject, and you know what? I had a note attached to this little note, and it was to say thank you all for your kindness through this last month. Like Pastor Appreciation Day, we appreciate it and appreciate you appreciating us, and we appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciation all around. And some of you remember my birthday, which just reminds me how old and decrepit I am. But thank you. And I, no, it's really been fun. It's really been fun. I am getting up there. Oh, my. For those of you who don't know, I just passed my 71st. Yay. No, oh, no, no, no. Why do I get applause? All you had to do is stay alive, you know. I was, how hard is that? Sometimes it's hard, right? Oh, my gosh. So I wanted to read this. See, I got distracted. My ADD is kicking. I need my meds. Okay. Christians, this guy Peter H. Davids in the New International Commentary on the New Testament said this. Christians then cannot control how God has gifted them. I mentioned that. But they can and do control if and how the gift is used. So see, when, when the strife of tongues, that was the name of a book actually, the strife of tongues... When that hit the American Evangelical Church, that was, we sinned. We sinned because instead of using the gifts to build up the body, our insistence that I'm in the spirit and you're not drove people to split and damage churches. Should never have happened. Okay? But it also made people react in such a way that they're traumatized and they won't even be open should the Holy Spirit try to do something in their life. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's what he says. It, they do have a stewardship. Get this. It's part of your stewardship to control and use your gift. 
Spiritual gifts are not autonomous entities outside a person's control, but abilities that the Spirit gives and that a person must grow in and use, putting them into service. Stewardship. Thus, the Christian in Peter's view, this was a reference out of the Peter text, is simply a household slave who has control over a certain part of God's property. A gift that has been given to him to use to build up the household. That's why he has it. So, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians. Let me read two points here. Paul's reminder that there are no little peeps, no insignificant saints. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, well, I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Isn't that what happens with us sometimes? Oh my, I don't matter that much. I don't, it doesn't matter if I'm missing. Yeah, it does matter. The, the levels of missing gift use in this place has caused harmony over the years has cost us. We're behind the curve. As good as some of the Holy Spirit stirring happening gives us an opportunity to step up to the plate. Here's the next verse that goes with it. It's 20, verse 22, so it's down a few verses. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Oh, that seems like a less significant gift. Not insignificant to me when I'm trying to preach and I don't have the support I need it's very significant to me that that gift of helps isn't active. Does that make sense? Same thing when you're putting on a meal, you're going to have this meal for the uh, people that we serve, the, the, the people uh, from the, our food pantry, people in need. Got to take a lot of hands to make that work, and there's all kinds of roles. There are people who will show up at that meeting that you have a gift to talk. So we give them a meal, but there also needs to be dialogue. We need to engage, right? Many gifts necessary. Even the weaker ones are necessary. So Paul's reminder is nobody is insignificant, and don't let the devil talk you down that way. The other side of it is nobody's all that in a bag of chips. Because that's what went wrong. I've got this spiritual gift. It tends to be a little supernatural, so you all better get with the program and recognize how cool and spiritual I am. So it can be insignificance or it can be arrogance. And neither of those build up the body of Christ. So I have a section here now to talk about the terrible gifts. You know why I use the word terrible? Because in the Old Testament, our God is a terrible you know what I mean by that? Not, he's awful. He's awful. He's terrible in that. He can scare you sometimes. And, and, you know, is Aslan a safe little kitty? No, of course he's not safe. But he's good. Same idea. The supernatural activated among the saints gets people's attention when it happens. And I simply want to share a little bit about that. So, you have Paul's introduction in this text. We're going to get there in just a second, but let me just give you some points. If you, if you read 1 Corinthians, I'm not going to put this on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 opens up with, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Any man speaking by the Spirit of God does not say Jesus is a curse. Now, how could anybody be that dull? 
in church, trying to edify one another. Because you read 1 Corinthians, you know that there was a lot more body participation in the activity of the church, right? That's kind of one of the reasons I like when we have communion and people get to share and witness and speak life to one another. And some of us may even have had promptings on occasion that we said, I'm not going to say that to anyone. And maybe it was something we really needed to hear. We're not used to it. So I'm just asking us to be open. What does the Spirit want to say? And there are some principles to be applied that keep us from the weeds. Do you hear that? I mean, everyone's nervous today, right? I've got you really nervous. At least I'm getting somewhere. I've got you nervous. Okay. So, his introduction, he says, I want you to understand some things about spiritual gifts. And he's making the following four points. Without looking at the text, let me just give you, and there's more principles than this, but here's what they are. Number one, there are three, at least, possible sources for spiritual prompting. There are three, at least, possible promptings, three sources from where they might come. So I think I have a word from God. How many people have occasionally thought, I, have, I think I have a word from God? I'm going to tell you, we've been going through some hard times as a family, and I have a prayer partner who, if you ever have one of these, blows my mind, always calls when I'm under it. And I'm like, how did you know? And then when they call... The last time, two times, well, it's three times now back, this sister called me. I just talked to her last night, and she reaffirmed it again. I had such a strong impression that I could just about say, thus says the Lord, John. You need to listen to this. And I'm trying to. Three possible sources. Where did that come from? Well... From the biblical perspective, it could be the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Anybody believe that the Holy Spirit's dead or alive? Which way do you want him, dead or alive? <laughs> Make up your mind. Okay, dead or alive. He's alive. So can he give me a promise? Yes. Another source can be my flesh. Ooh, I really want this, so here's what God says. I want to marry her, so here's what God told me. Everybody else is telling you you're crazy. And the girl you want to marry says you're crazy too. So maybe it's not the Holy Spirit. It's your flesh. Yeah? I'll tell you, one of the best things you can ever do for your own well-being and the well-being of the kingdom of God and God's use of your life is get in touch with your depravity because you are depraved. Get in touch with your brokenness, what is off chart. There's the third possibility. Who can guess? Thank you. A lying spirit. A lying spirit. And they do exist. Number two, there are three possible sources. Number two, the gifts are given for edification. The goal is reciprocity. We minister to one another. We build each other up. We help bring people into the kingdom. We help train them as disciples. We help them to get organized, to live, live the life that God's calling them to. The edification is the primary deal. Gifts, number three, are stewarded. We've already been over that. But part of what I want to communicate about that is it is controllable. So these ideas of being in frenzies and out of control and crazy stuff going on, 
That is not from the Holy Spirit in itself. You see what I'm saying? I have authority. The scripture is very clear. Prophets, you speak one, two, three, let the other prophets judge. If someone speaks a tongue, it should be one or two or whatever, only with, with interpretation. If there's no interpretation, the body isn't edified, so be quiet. Pray in your spirit. Never can I command a person to stop praying in the spirit. I can't tell them that. I don't have that right. I already showed you a verse that said I'd be making a boo-boo if I did that. But I do have the right to say, so let's say, let's see, who can I pick on? Bill Nauta, you look like a possible tongue speaker. He stands up in a church, he's looking at me like, I'm thinking about whether I'm going to leave or not. He starts speaking in tongues, and we wait, and there's nothing. And I go, does somebody have a sense of what the meaning of this message is to us? And if there isn't any, he has to be quiet. That's what the scripture teaches. Now, we have all kinds of rules on top of that, don't we? That we made up. But anyway, and, and by the way, I, I just was, I was picking on my friend there. The, the, his, one of their gifts was hospitality. When we moved down there, we lived in his basement. I don't know how he tolerated it, but he did. And uh, very gracious people, very gracious. So edification, there's three possible sources. They are to be stewarded. They're under the control. This is part of my stewardship. I can use my gift or I can choose not to use my gift. Okay? I think I have a gift of prophecy. That's the way some people translate preaching, the preaching gift, right? I think I'm pretty okay at it, occasionally. And um, I could say I'm going to use it, or I could say I'm not going to use it. As in one of the mornings, I uh, went into my congregation up north when God was stirring, and uh, it was one of the reasons uh, one of the brothers on the MLT called me to come down here when you guys had some trouble 9, 10, 12 years ago. And um, I went into the church and I felt such a sense of frivolity and, and ignoring the presence of God and unconcern and just something wrong in my spirit. And I got in the pulpit and I said, I think you guys need to pray. You don't take God seriously. And I walked out. And a prayer meeting ensued. And God showed up. Did it work? We can steward our gift. And the last thing I need to say about these gifts is if they're from a supernatural inclination, they are testable. You can test them. They can be tested. I have so many stories I could tell you. I, we'd be here for 24 hours, but uh, of situations where there are times that something's manifesting. It's very clear that it's not necessarily from this world. But where is it coming from? And that the authority of the word of God prevails every time to uncover the enemy. But he is at work. And what does he do? Satan wants God's job, remember? And so he likes to imitate what God does. And so he'll give false gifts. The fact that a person has some supernatural apparent ability, whether it's a healing thing or a tongue or whatever, doesn't prove it's from God. That's where we get naive. Just like people uh, channeling on these shows where you get in touch with your dead relatives and, oh, he's telling you this and he's telling... Wait a minute. Can I ask that spirit a few questions about the lordship of Jesus and his victory over the 
the kingdom of darkness on the cross, because I'll bet you if you let me ask those questions, there'll be a reaction, which I have seen multiple times. And I know what I'm talking about for some of us is like the ravings of a madman. But who are the, who are the really... Well, let's leave it there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, chapter 12. Rules for tongues and prophets and judgments and all of that. Here's what it tells us in verse uh, 26 of the 14th chapter. This is the way the New Testament church was operating. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, each one has a teaching, each one has a revelation. That's what he's talking about, having this word. Remember, they didn't have the scripture like we do. It was still being formulated. Now we have a sure word of prophecy by which we can test anything that somebody thinks is coming from the Scripture, is coming from the Lord. Each one has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for what? To build each other up. If it's causing a problem, then cool your jets and figure out how to handle it in a godly fashion. This is where it comes that Individuals who have gifts like the gift of discernment, which we'll talk about next week, or gifts of the word of knowledge or prophetic utterance, this is where they need to develop their giftings for the benefit and the edification of the body as a whole. Remember this from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. I love this verse, and I've shared it at least two or three times now. Solid foods for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern what? Because in the body you have to discern between good and evil. I hear people talking at times, oh, this is the way you ought to do it. And it's like, that's not from God. I know you feel that way, but you're wrong. Do you know there's a way to find out whether you're right or wrong? Do you know there's some principles in the scripture? One of the simple things I always thought about with spiritual giftings is does it lead me more toward the biblical view of God or away? Very simple. Does it affirm and approve? Yes, that resonates with the full teaching of the scripture. Or is it a little bit like, huh? Because if it's, huh, your radar should be on. That there's something not kosher. That's a good word, kosher. I like that. So finally... Can you believe I got five minutes left and we're ready to look at my text? I told you I was preaching backwards. Here we go. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects. The same God works all these things in all persons. Now, this, in this context, he doesn't mean every single saint has one of these kind of supernatural manifestations. But it means those ones who do have the manifestations, that's coming from God. That's what he's saying. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? To build him up and make him a TV personality. Sure. It seems that's the way some people read it. Anyway, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Interesting language. Gifts of healing. Word of knowledge. There's a reason for this. 
by the one spirit, another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. Then the last comment is this. To one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So it's up to him. Back it up to that, or on to the very last text I want to look at. Uh, I want to go back to the previous section. Because these particular gifts, I'm just going to highlight a couple in the interest of time. That there's some things that are... Um, exegetically accurate about this. Pastor Tim has a shirt that says, my exegesis doesn't care what your eisegesis says. I mean, what the Bible tells me overrules what you're telling the Bible, it says. And one of the things in this is the word, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. It's not just the gift of knowledge. Otherwise, anybody with a good Bible degree would have the gift of knowledge. But it's a word of knowledge, a logos. There is, and when you dig even into, I, I can't remember, Dennis, whether it was Arton Gingrich or Moulton Milligan, remember Moulton, these, um, what are they, lexicons. That means dictionaries of the original Greek language. One of those, I think it was Arton Gingrich, which was our classic going to seminary indicates that this word of knowledge is an intuitive gift. It's intuitive. There's a word that comes to a person with this gift to help the saint somehow. Tons of stories like that. I had a brother in our, our church in Tucson, Arizona. It was a CB church. He ended up talking to me realizing he was hearing things from God. And he had a co-worker, and he heard clearly, go to, I'm going to just say his name was, um, i got to think of a good name. My brother's name was Oscar. Jim is fine. Jim, Jim, you're playing with fire, and you're going to get burned. This is a co-worker, not a Christian. He just, and he goes to him, and he says, Jim, you're playing with fire, and you're going to get burned. And within two weeks, he was, I can't remember it was he was arrested or whatever. He was messing around with something very un, unrighteous. Where did that come from? How do you explain that? Well, it's a intuitive leading of the spirit. I asked Ben to tell the story because there's, um, there's probably no better illustration of a biblical use of the gift that we're nervous about the most uh, than this story from the mission field that uh, he shared with me one time. So, Ben, would you do that in a minute or two? Um, we have a lady who's close to us, and years ago when she was younger, she went on a missions trip to Mexico. Well, um, she was down there for two weeks down in Mexico. They were on a missions trip, and one of the nights when things were just really, spirit was moving, God was doing a lot of cool stuff, they asked her to pray. So she prayed. Nothing, you know. When she was finished, one of the leaders said, I, I didn't know that you spoke Spanish. And she says, I don't. He says, everybody here heard you speak in Spanish. How cool is that? So, that's did you story. make that up? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> Sorry. 
That would be a classic illustration of the very purpose of the gift of tongues, was to declare the glorious deeds of God to the nations of other tongues, right? That would be classic. We don't know whether, did she actually speak in Spanish, or did everybody have it interpreted in, who cares? It was a supernatural intervention, and of course, we're going to make sure God does none of that around here. You get my gist. So this has got to have provoked a lot of questions, I'm sure. But the last thing I want to say, because I could go on case after case of, and, and those gifts like miracle or healing, they're not something like you turn a valve on, you know, turn the faucet on, let's heal everybody, and then turn it off. It has to be a situational uh, experience where the Spirit says, I'm going to do this now. It's revealed in the book of James, for example, on healing, where it says, anyone sick? Call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them, praying over them in the name of the Lord, right? And the prayer of, anybody remember it? The prayer of faith. The prayer offered in faith. Well, you can't manufacture that. The Holy Spirit has to quicken somebody. I'm going to do this. And we had a guy, I told that story one time from up north, who was on his deathbed. I won't take time now. I can't because it was very dramatic. It just kept going on and on. All his, all his organs were failing. He was a dead man. And I remember specifically, God quickened faith that God would give him to, to me and with my brothers to pray over him that God would give him four years to be with his teenage boys before he got taken home. And God gave him like six to eight years. I mean, it was astounding. But we don't make that happen. That's God's business. You know, how, do we pray all, how do we pray miracles? No, you pray to God. You, you make sure we're walking with God. That's what matters. Let him take care of that. A little experience can upset a lot of dogma. And I would not have you ignorant. I wouldn't have you naive, believing everything, because that's foolishness. But I also would not have you unbelieving about the fact that God is the living God. And he's given these gifts. And we can unpack more of that later. I'll take a couple of questions if there are some. Oh, I had a feeling you might have one. Ma'am. So back to the, um, the speaking of tongues and edifying and having interpreters. Why? Okay? Why that one? Because That's such a troublesome can, one. Okay, no, no, you're going to like this one. No. Oh, I'm going to like this. Um, so it says in the Bible, let two or three speak and then let other people reveal, like you had said, and if there's no um, interpretation, then the person's supposed to keep quiet. What is a healthy way to discern um, the interpretation of tongues? Like, so, okay, if somebody speaks in tongues, and then the Bible, we're testing the Bible, saying, okay, someone has to interpret it. What's a healthy way for us to say, yes, that's from the Lord? If I don't have that interpretation, how do I embrace it? How do great, great question. Yeah, it's a good question. So part of that has to do with body life, right? So in our context, for example, if first of all, we'd have to make sure everybody didn't run out of the room if somebody started speaking a tongue, right? And so then I would have to say as a leader, and I've seen this done well. If we could just all take a deep cleansing breath and relax, it's like it's not the end of the world if something like this were to happen. I would be saying, is there an interpreter? 
Now, here's what would probably happen. Two weeks later, one of the saints, you know, Mrs. Ogden, comes to me and says, I could not, I didn't have the courage to stand up, but when that person spoke, I think I understood what he said. And I would say, okay, well, let's talk about that. And we would pray together, and we would ask God to show and help us test and see, and tell me what it was. And I, I have been in a room and experienced this very thing, where it is a, it is a sense of a message that is coming from that tongue. God is trying to say something to the congregation to edify. Can I make one thing clear? Did that help a little? Can I make one thing clear? We are not looking for new revelation. Isaiah 8.20. If they do not speak according, all your prophets who peep and mutter and everything else, he says. That's the language, right? If they do not speak according to this book, it's because they have no light. We're not looking for new revelation. Any word is for situational where we are now what we're doing. And recently, one of our sisters in the church, I sensed, may be starting to manifest a gift of knowledge, speaking to us about what we need to do to let the gospel start flourishing in this church. I'm like, that sounds spot on to me. And the scripture tells us that the prophets, those who have learned and have their senses trained to discern good and evil, will get a sense, a witness. That's the old language in church. The old days, people talked about getting a witness. And that could be misused. But when the prophets say, I think that is what God is trying to tell us. I've had that on my heart, but I haven't said it yet. And here it is coming out somewhere else. One of the most conservative groups you, could, you can find was the uh, Plymouth Brethren. Anybody acquainted with them? When they, two people, okay. Anyway, when they, when they used to do communion, they expected the Holy Spirit to speak through the body. And so a person would be sitting in the communion and have this verse come on. They're going, I need to read this verse. No, 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 I'm too nervous. And they resisted, but somebody else heard it, stood up and read the same exact without a word being spoken. Isn't that awesome? It's not an accident. On the one hand, don't make more of it than it is. On the other hand, don't make God non-existent. Both things are true. Our time is up. Let me pray. God, we need your help. You never intended us to do this on our own. You've given us your spirit. That's the big gift. And then you've given us gifts. And we don't want to make more of them or less of them. We simply want to obey and honor you. In the name of Jesus, would you give us wisdom and help us in these next couple of weeks that we can still tamper with your word about this. We thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, put your angels around your people, God. Guard them this week. And all of God's people said, amen.